B.H. Liddell Hart. Why don't we learn from history? Narrated by Ben Onwukwe and Morag Sims. More than 2,000 years ago, the Greek historian Polybius mused that the best way to navigate current society's problems was to, quote, recall the catastrophes of others. Yet, millennia later, people still ignore the lessons of the past. The question is, why? To begin answering, we need to unpack the complex relationship we humans have with history and with historical thought. These blinks draw on the succinct musings of military historian B. H. Liddell Hart to examine how we all use and misuse our knowledge about historical events. In other words, they explore how history helps us interpret the present and plan for the future. You'll learn why making sense of past events is so difficult, how the historical record gets warped and distorted, and why wars continue to plague humanity, even despite our best efforts to stop them. Blink one of six. When you're able to learn from history, you can literally change the world. For proof, look no further than Otto von Bismarck, one of the most prominent statesmen of the 19th century. In a few short decades, he accomplished something that seemed impossible. His shrewd diplomacy and decisive military action united dozens of feuding principalities into one vast German empire. So, how did Bismarck develop political skills and battlefield confidence? Well, the man himself used to say that his expertise had not come about by chance, nor was it based on natural talent. Instead, Bismarck cultivated it by studying history. He famously claimed that only fools learn from their own experiences. Truly visionary leaders, according to Bismarck, draw inspiration and insight from the experience of others. The key message here is, studying history broadens our understanding of the world. Why study history? At the most basic level, it can help you understand why events happened the way they did. A skilled historian will use solid evidence to piece together an accurate picture of what occurred in the past and why. But history is so much more than just an academic pursuit. It also helps you make better decisions. It gives you knowledge and wisdom you simply cannot get from everyday life. Sure, an 80-year-old may have decades of life lessons to guide her actions, but a student of history will have hundreds or thousands of years' worth of data to draw upon. It's particularly important to study military history. It may be fashionable for historians to focus on slow, subtle shifts in society brought on by economic trends. However, it's often armed conflict that drives events. Just consider how different the world would be if important battles had gone the other way. What if the Persians had conquered Greece? What if Napoleon was quashed at Toulon? the world would be an entirely different place. As you consider these questions, it's important to maintain a broader view. 
get too caught up in the minutiae or delve too deeply into just one source of data, and you risk distorting your understanding of events. Great leaders often massage the truth to bolster their legacy. And as for historians themselves, well, even the best of them have biases. So when we study the past, it's best to take a step back and employ a dispassionate, scientific approach. How? We'll find out in the next Blink. Blink 2 of 6 In July 1917, British Field Marshal Douglas Haig had a plan to end World War I. Haig believed that an all-out assault on the German forces at Passchendaele could turn the tide of the conflict. But there was a problem. Even on paper, Haig's plan wasn't entirely convincing. So when he proposed the strategy, the marshal chose not to mention any of the obstacles that might hamper its success. Predictably, when Haig did attack Passchendaele, the assault was a disaster. Still, the marshal reported to his superiors that the battle was going well. His misguided offensive continued until 400,000 men had died. Haig was creative with the truth, then, but the role of a true historian is to see right through such misinformation. Often that's easier said than done. The key message here is, historians must pursue the truth even when it is uncomfortable. People wonder, is the study of history a science or an art? In truth, it's a mix of both. Uncovering the facts about past events requires a dispassionate, scientific attitude. A historian's emotions must never sway his investigation. But creativity and intuition do have a role to play. Their turn comes when it's time to start interpreting historical evidence. Consider the problem posed by official documentation, such as government reports or military archives. These are what historians call primary sources. Such papers are meant to present objective facts. But they can be rife with inaccuracies or even outright lies. A good historian will have the tools he needs to suss out such defects. He may consider the context in which official papers were written. He may also look at biases of their creators or ask whether documents served any myth-making or propaganda purposes. Military history is especially plagued with myths. Generals, politicians, even entire institutions are usually reluctant to admit past follies and mistakes. They fear hurting morale and exposing a nation's weaknesses. But true historians must not abide by such guidelines. Avoiding facts or distorting uncomfortable events is the direct opposite to truth-seeking, and so researchers should be prepared to question any narrative, even if it comes from an official source. And they should work tirelessly to seek out true causes of events. Sometimes there can be more to them than meets the eye, as we'll find out in the next Blink. Blink 3 of 6 Reginald Balliol Brett, better known as Lord Isha, 
is not always recognized in popular history books, and perhaps that's exactly what he intended. Isha was born into a wealthy and well-connected family, but he never used his status as a key to political prominence. Not that he hadn't been asked. Lord Isha turned down a string of prestigious positions such as Secretary of State for War and Viceroy of India. Lord Isha preferred to work behind the scenes. He shunned the pomp and circumstance of public office, but that doesn't mean he didn't have a say in politics. The Lord was a close personal confidant and advisor to both King Edward VII and his son, King George V. So despite his low profile, Isha was actually one of the most powerful figures in British politics. The key message here is, many crucial moments in history happen behind the scenes. Official history tends to focus on big headline events and clear narratives. These stories often suggest that the world is moved by notable public figures and prominent institutions such as perhaps parliaments or governments. These accounts sound straightforward, but they sometimes obscure something far more important. Consider how textbooks cover the history of democracies, like the United Kingdom. Scientists direct their attention to debates that happen in representative bodies from local councils all the way up to Parliament. At first sight, that makes perfect sense. After all, the law says that's where decisions should be made. But is this what happens in the real world? Far from it. History is often swayed by powerful people, their personal connections and the compromises they make in private. For evidence, look no further than the years before World War II. So-called sea lords or high-ranking admirals were at the top of London society. They schmoozed with politicians at dinner parties and soirees. As a result, the Navy received plenty of funding, but little scrutiny. When the war broke out, it soon revealed that British battleships were completely unprepared. Poor oversight led to a staggering loss of life at sea. Of course, not all behind-the-scenes arrangements end in disaster. Just as often, leaving decisions to a few experts results in smarter, more efficient action. When Churchill became Prime Minister in 1940, his small inner cabinet helped him quickly decide strategies and tactics. Still, there's always a danger of giving power to a select few. We'll explore this threat in the next Blink. Blink 4 of 6 June 1812 Napoleon's army of half a million men stands on the banks of the Niemen, a river in Eastern Europe. The Emperor is furious with Russia over the country's continued trade relationship with the United Kingdom. He's convinced that a quick invasion of Moscow will make the Tsar more compliant. Unfortunately for Napoleon, is about to make a grave mistake. In just a few months, the harsh Russian winter takes its toll. Barely half a year later, the emperor flees back to Paris with fewer than 50,000 men. Curiously, 130 years later, 
Hitler made the same error. His 1941 invasion of Russia marked the start of his downfall. These failures, separated by more than a century, demonstrate yet again the danger of ignoring lessons of the past. The key message here is, dictatorships rise and fall according to a repeating pattern. History tells us that dictators and other despotic governments rise to power by exploiting a simple pattern. First, they use people's existing prejudices and frustrations to stir up resentment and hostility. Then, future dictators acknowledge the widespread discontent and blame it on the existing regime. They offer alternative solutions which can sound simple but quite often are entirely unrealistic. And finally, dictators seize control with a false promise of better days to come. This manual to building a dictatorship has remained strikingly similar throughout history. The central flaw of authoritarianism is that its promises are false. Eventually time reveals them for what they are, hollow lies. While a brainwashed population may briefly work together in a patriotic fervor, eventually citizens will realize that their efforts are only serving the elite. Their resolve will erode and the dictatorship will crumble from within. Many governments will try to shore up support by enacting conscription, forcing citizens into the military against their will. But history shows that this strategy is also doomed to fail. People only give their all when they choose to. So why do democracies turn towards conscription in times of peace? And why does the author think it's so disturbing? Some politicians advocate the need for a large standing army to deter foreign invasion. Yet, demanding service from citizens undermines the very freedoms such an army would ostensibly protect. Ramping up militarism is no way to ensure liberty. Instead, Lawmakers should abide by historical lessons and allow personal freedom and responsibility to flourish. Blink 5 of 6 What was the cause of World War I? Most people would point to the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria. In June 1914, he was killed by a member of a Serbian nationalist organisation but that was the spark that set off the crisis, not the reason for it. The groundwork for the war was already in place long before this murder. The conflict's real cause was a dense network of human folly, vanity, competitiveness, misguided pride and sloppy logic. Many historians attribute the Great War to a complex mix of economic factors. It was, they say, the economy that created alliances of rival nations. But this analysis alone is a bit sterile and impersonal. A more accurate narrative would include the people who ruled across Europe at the time, with their foibles and peculiarities. The key message here is, 
War is an avoidable outcome of humanity's moral failings. The Archduke's assassination did not automatically require military action, but that's where personalities come in. Leaders of Austria were more concerned with appearances than with any long-term strategy. They did not want to seem weak, so they declared war on Serbia right away, and they also brought the Germans along for the ride. The Russian Tsar, meanwhile, stubbornly regarded Serbia as his own fiefdom. The Austrian attack was an affront to his honour, and so, to save face, he felt compelled to respond in kind. As the conflict escalated, it set off the worst impulses of other European powers. In Germany, military leaders had spent decades drawing up detailed war plans. Their strategy for defeating Russia called for simultaneously attacking France. Rather than reassess the situation with a clear head, German generals stuck to their predetermined strategy and declared war on both fronts. This was an obvious military blunder. And so, bit by bit, the conflict escalated. The Great War rumbled on, fueled by very human flaws. The real tragedy is that the war could have ended much earlier than it did. Rival governments had plenty of opportunities to seek out peace, but leaders of all warring nations remained committed to a decisive, glorious victory. And so, millions of lives were lost, all because of a very human thirst for a trophy that never arrived. But, can we prevent war altogether? We'll find out in the next Blink. Blink 6 of 6 at the height of their empire strength, the Roman elite often used the aphorism, if you wish for peace, prepare for war. It's a pithy maxim, but there's a catch. The famously militant Romans were always prepared for a fight. And as any good student knows, they were also constantly at war. So this Roman prescription for peace is, unfortunately, a dud. In fact, despite humanity's best efforts, so far all our plans to eliminate war have failed. But technology moves on. Recent advancements such as the development of nuclear weapons mean that preventing war now is more important than ever before. Maybe the best way to ensure peace isn't to prepare for war, but to understand it. The key message here is, adhering to a few timeless principles can mitigate the devastation of war. Way back in 500 BC, the philosopher Sun Tzu surveyed history to find ways of alleviating the worst ravages of war. From his studies, he developed a series of basic principles. Here's a summary of his ideas. Nations should build internal strength and stability. Leaders should maintain a calm and collected demeanor. Countries in conflict should leave their opponents a graceful way to surrender. And, last but not least, armies should work to narrow the scope 
of acceptable violence. Following Sun Tzu's advice may not eliminate war, but his insights can reduce the frequency of armed conflict and limit its destructive powers. For instance, if nations built internal stability, they'd be less likely to fall into strife. International agreements work best when all parties can negotiate from strength. Countries cooperate more willingly when they are successful and secure, not when one powerful state forces all others to fall into line. But what happens if conflict does arise? Can countries somehow limit its scope? While thinkers like Karl von Clausewitz have argued that moderation has no place in battle, history proves otherwise. More than a thousand years ago, laws in some countries confined battle to certain days and ensured the safety of non-combatants. Today, this tradition continues in the limitations set down by the Geneva Conventions. Armies can come to blows, but innocent bystanders should always be spared. Of course, some will argue that war can be prevented when all humanity unites under one nation and one faith. But a singular world order would eventually stifle progress and erode the diversity of humanity the very fuel that makes us all prosper. Instead, nations should seek mutual cooperation across differences. The task is difficult, but studying history can show the way forward. You've just listened to our blinks to Why Don't We Learn From History by B. H. Liddell Hart. The key message in these blinks is that studying history provides us with a fountain of wisdom unattainable through mere personal experience. By studying the triumphs and mistakes of others in the past, we can learn how to avoid catastrophes in the future. While much of popular history is distorted by myth-making and deceit, careful observation and analysis can help us see the truth. Lessons from the past can even help us prevent the worst of war and conflict. Do you have some feedback for us? Because if you do, then we would love to hear what you think about our content. So just drop us an email to remember at blinkist.com with why don't we learn from history as the subject line and let us know your thoughts.